Blue, the title track from Joni Mitchell's album, which turns 50 tomorrow. And Rachel Breslin is here to talk about this hugely important album, really, in terms of popular culture and popular music. She sings it, Rachel, in, in the second line. She says the word, sings the word blue and then songs are like tattoos. In some ways, that lays out the... It's, it's a real signpost as to the type of songs that we're going to get on this album, you, you would say. It certainly is and an indicator of the longevity of the album. The songs are like tattoos to me. They're, they're, they feel indelible once they're marked on the brain or the heart or the soul or wherever you're taking them in. Um, this album, uh, as you say, 50 years old this week uh, and it's recently moved higher up some of the top albums list than where it was originally placed. And for me, that really proves just how well it's ageing. And uh, to be honest, if you start to pick this album apart, it becomes really hard to believe that it's just one album, that all 10 of these songs appeared on the same release, because each one of them is truly magnificent in its own right. Um, the content of the album, very personal. But before we go into how personal it is, what about the social and political background of that time? Yeah, this was 1971. It was the height of the Vietnam War, of course. And Joni does reference that on some of the tracks, um, notably California. The lines are the opening lines again, sitting in a park in Paris, France, reading the news and it sure looks bad. They won't give peace a chance. That was just a dream some of us had. So she's directly talking about the war and Mm. there was certainly plenty of strife in world politics, to say the least. And this was the same America and the same year that Marvin Gaye released his highly political What's Going On. But as a black man in Detroit, he, he possibly had a little bit more to rail against than a white woman like Joni. However, she had her gender to contend with. Um, she was operating in an extremely male-dominated industry and uh, even with this album as an example, it was very unusual for a woman to produce everything herself um, at that time, which she ended up doing with this album. She'd had help on her previous two, but uh, this one, her name is the only one mm. on the credits. And when we speak of this album, we have to speak immediately of Laurel Canyon in the late in the late 90s. 1960s. What kind of influence do you think that is on this record or how much is this record an example of that whole movement, if you like? Yeah, what a time for, for them to have lived through. It was just an incredible place for musicians. They'd they'd go there to LA and play for each other, literally in the canyons. Um, and it, it was a time of great change in music as well. The musician Graham Nash said there was a great sense of freedom in the air. We could do anything. And uh, that's that's evidenced in these songs as well. And, and poetry was the thing that was revered more than anything else. And uh, many, many would agree that Joni is the greatest poet of them all. Yeah, they really are like poems set to music that's what they're they're, they're lyric pieces that's exactly what they are Mm. Uh, opening track uh, she lays out her stall in what way here would you say uh, in the track All I Want Rachel Uh, well I'm boldly going to declare that this (laughs) this song is one of the most perfect love songs ever written and for if anyone was coming to this album cold which I imagine very few people would be but this this would be quite a gentle gentle introduction to a musician like Joni Mitchell who previous to this was making material that might have been a wee bit more challenging and not to everybody's taste Um, but this song is remarkable in its simplicity Uh, the rhyming sequence she uses here is frequently couplets but the really the thing that's stands out the most is this uh, non-conventional, sorry, this non-conventional, quirky kind of conversational language. It's, it's, the lyrics are playful to the point of being childlike, almost inane, I would say, but yet it doesn't jar or seem in any way like it's meant to be a novelty because um, the song is about being in love. And I think most people can relate to the fact that this is exactly what being in love feels like. 
All I Want, the opening track on Joni Mitchell's album Blue, which turns 50 tomorrow and Rachel Bresnan speaking with me about it this evening. Uh, as you said, the most perfect love song ever written is what you're claiming for All I Want, Rachel. But in some ways, you, you, if you think of where Joni Mitchell was at in her personal life in particular at this when this album uh, came into being, um, it could be a breakup album as much as uh, a love album. Yeah, many people uh, would call this a breakup album. Of course, just uh, previous to writing this, she had accepted a marriage proposal from the musician Graham Nash and uh, was all set to enter domestic bliss. So the story goes. In fact, he even wrote his famous song Our House about her. Um, when suddenly the, the thought entered her head of her two grandmothers, both of whom were these really creative souls, but who had married young and gone into a domestic life without the option of any kind of career being given to them as was very normal Mm. at that time and uh, thinking of those two women uh, who she obviously felt they'd been a little bit trapped and for their memory and in a declaration of her own commitment to her art and her freedom of expression she she cut Graham Nash loose and she headed off on her own to, to write this album. Where did she go? She she went to Europe where she travelled mostly around Greece, Spain and France and uh, I believe she spent most time on the island of Crete um, where she ended up living actually in a cave with a, a hippie community uh, in the fishing village of Matala and uh, people will probably recognise that name Matala because she references it in the song Carrie. Um, she, she references the Matala moon. I, actually, the song Carrie has a great story attached to it as well. Um, is, is this the actual name of a, of a person, of a man? Yeah, it is indeed, albeit with a, with a slightly different... She changed the spelling somewhat, mm. I don't know why. But um, yeah, Carrie was a, a bartender that she met on Crete and uh, had a fling with. with. Um, his real name was was Carrie Raditz. He was an American, uh, a wild-looking, red-haired American chef who um, later, when she would play this song, she frequently did when she did when she played it live she would um, tell a story introducing it and describe him as having fierce looking blue eyes and the mark of cane on his brow so all very romantic and uh, kind of all the hallmarks of a holiday fling type mm. relationship they had this uh, fiery relationship short-lived and uh, b- but what came out of it was this amazing song that she wrote in honor of his birthday Carrie Carrie from Joni Mitchell's Blue, Rachel Bresden celebrating the 50th birthday. Well, 50th birthday, but for one day. It's tomorrow is actually the 50th birthday of the release of the album. Um, that track, we I mean, and what we've listened to, Blue, the opener, are the title track, the piano very much at the heart, but guitars are stringed instruments at the heart of the two songs. The other two songs we've listened to so far, All I Want and Carrie. Unusual or, or interesting instrumentation across the album, really, Rachel? Yeah, well, uh, as I said, she wrote and produced and performed everything on this album, more or less herself. There were a couple of guest musicians as well. Mm. But but also, interestingly, the whole thing is built around three instruments. One is the acoustic guitar, which Joni Mitchell is probably most famous for, particularly the use of open tunings, which um, she used because uh, she suffered from a bout of polio as a child and ended up with a weakness in her left hand. So she ended up tuning the guitar just to suit herself. And it became something that other musicians struggled to emulate when they when they covered her songs. Um, uh, the other instrument that really stands out here that's quite different was uh, the Appalachian dulcimer, which is something that Joni herself discovered around this time. 
Uh, mm. she, she had it with her while she was living on Crete and she experimented with it, taught herself how to handle it to great effect. It's a really old folk instrument. Um, if you've ever, there are lot of, lots of videos online of her playing it. She lays it out across her knees um, and the sound uh, lends the songs a really ancient feel, almost a traditional feel. And I was thinking that maybe this echoes the pace of life in the village she found mm. herself living in in Crete. But then finally, as you mentioned, um, the, the piano is used to great effect on this uh, album as well. She was also an incredible piano piano player and she she can be so versatile with it she can use it in uh, in a really sparse way like that really distinctive um, opening bars of the song River uh, mm. where she plays the, the Jingle Bells uh, the, uh, song or it can sound orchestral or almost classical like like in the, the closing song on the album The Last Time I Saw Richard she can just do so much with one instrument Yeah and, and then there's her own instrument uh, as in her own voice uh, yeah, there's a touch of Marmite about this for, for people I think but that facility she has for me to, to jump range across different ranges is, is quite exceptional and, and extraordinary. Yeah, there is a touch of Marmite. And I think what's, what's made this album her most popular album across the board is the fact that her voice is at its most straightforward here. Like the themes on this album are quite universal, it's true. But also this was really the sweet spot for her voice-wise. In the two previous albums, um, there was a kind of extremely folky vibe. Her voice was slightly higher and reedier. Uh, not everybody loved it. And then after this album, um, she did a lot of jazzy experimentation with her voice as well as every, as well as her writing. So so this was sort of less old fashioned than before, much more focused and much more palatable to most people, I suppose, her voice. And while you've mentioned poetry as being very important in terms of uh, Joni Mitchell in general and this album in particular, I suppose that, that some of the songs are almost like little vignettes, little short stories in some ways. Yeah, really, it, it is her whole life laid bare. And um, I read that at that time she greatly admired the storytelling quality of Bob Dylan's work, um, uh, like the way that he kind of addressed his song to one individual person. She, she cited the example of the song Positively Fourth Street, where he opens the song with the line, you've got a lot of nerve to say you are my friend. She couldn't get over that you could you could speak to somebody directly like that in a song. No one had done it before. And uh, she always said afterwards that his influence was to really personalise her work and her writing and, and that was the key for her. It opened all the doors for her to write the way that she did. The highlight of the album for you, which is where we're going to finish up on this this evening, Rachel, is A, a Case of You, uh, track nine, the penultimate track on the album. Why is this song the highlight for you? What does Joni Mitchell achieve here that, that makes it stand out from, as you say, an exceptional album in, in, in its entirety? Uh, well, uh, this is the one that, that uh, I picked when we did Where Do I Begin with Joni Mitchell as well. It's the most covered song on the album, so I'm not alone in thinking that it's it's the high the highlight of the album. Um, it, it is a, a love song, uh, but it also contains humour the same way, um, as I mentioned, the lightness and All I Want in the opening track. The humour is still here uh, at the at the end of the album. There's there's kind of a bit of a joke in the opening stanza. Just before our love got lost, you said, I'm as constant as a northern star. And I said, constantly in the darkness, where's that at? And then there's a pun, um, even in the title as well. We're wondering, is she sick, lovesick with a, a case of you? But no, as, as you listen, you realise... Um, that she's comparing the object of her affection to a fine wine or or a whiskey. So she really included that humour and kept that lightness of touch. And that was a real skill with a love song as filled with sad longing and regret as this one is. Yeah, well, thanks for sharing your clear love of the album with us this evening. Will you give it a special birthday listen tomorrow, Rachel? Absolutely. All day, every day will be blue. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's finish with A Case of You.